Cosmic Event Planner, Part 1, Blood. Before I start into my own story, especially during these pandemic times when so, so many have not been with their loved ones when they passed, my heart goes out to you. It is the one pain I spent years doing everything in my feeble strength to avoid, instead of trusting God, because I know how important it is. That is a hard grief to bear, friends, and I want you to know that I'm aware that my husband's death might be especially bittersweet for those in the midst of such a deep loss. I pray you will yet find hope here. I'm not going to lie, the contents in this may be graphic to some. Dying from cirrhosis is said to be a most painful way to go, and I don't just mean the final day, I also mean the years of agony that lead up to it. And while I can revel in the symbolism and what God accomplished through Mark's suffering, I recognize that if Christ is not good news to you yet, some of this may be especially hard to read. The Bible says in Romans 8, 18, and 38 to 39, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not com worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Mark dying was something I had grown unafraid of. That comes with sitting on the edge of it at least a dozen times with cirrhosis. But my two greatest fears were that I wouldn't be there and that when he left, I wouldn't be certain he was going home to the Lord. But my father knows this, of course, and he said I'm planning the most perfect day. Maybe that sounds like a strange way to talk, but I'm a notorious overthinker and anticipating what I knew to be the most important moment in my life too. Losing your soulmate is a big deal, especially at 39, means that I had a lot of expectations about that day. Most of them centered on God punishing me for my sins, if I'm honest. But that is what makes this so especially good. He remains faithful when we are faithless. I wonder if the angels didn't ask him more than once, Why, Lord, you said this love is special. Why are you letting her suffer? Why haven't you told her yet that a love as pure as theirs can only come from you? She keeps running to you and running away. Can't you do something? And he told them to just watch and wait. My father began his preparation so very, very long ago, but for now we'll stick to the essential elements of Mark's passing on. When I grabbed a book and a poem I wrote for Mark off my shelf. The book, Pilgrim's Regress by C.S. Lewis, I've had since 1999. Yes, it's dated in the front. I'm a nerd, okay? But never read it yet. The poem I had misplaced quite some time ago, but stumbled across it looking for something else and taped it to the wall once in repossession. Reading the book in the couple of weeks before Mark passed put me in the new frame of mind. A close friend, who was only out at the campground by herself because the rest of her family was sick, discussed with me for hours the concept, you don't have a soul, you are a soul, you have a body. Now that my heart was warm towards good things and right thinking, and the change he was about to bring, God had to make sure Mark's last campfire was the right one with a few nights before he left his body. That would be with R&J, with other art there. Till 2.30 in the morning. R&J were only out because Jay took the week off for her birthday. She poked back in February. In the meantime, as God would have it, I was still in the middle of wrestling and being refined by the question, what do you do when your soulmate's dying wish is something you refuse to do? I wrestled with that from Sunday until Wednesday the week he went home, and not well either, I might add. I shamefully drank my way through the sheer agony. But I came out resolved. I could promise to give up beer forever. I was already 10 months in on that. 
Never remarry, remain celibate. Hey, these days it seems to be two different things. Not keep booze in the house. I was thinking I'd leave room for the occasional drink out, and I also meant after I'd finished up what we had in the trailer, but not this. Nor would I lie to him. There's so much more to it, but I can tell you, looking back on that last week, God gave me the biggest challenge of my life and I made it into an ugly win. But I won. I chose truth and integrity over even my love for Mark. It's why I can speak with such freedom and conviction. It's part of my new foundation. I was gentle again after that. Mark did a lot of sleeping the next couple days, but the rage and confusion my soul had quelled and it was peaceful in the home. God was also gracious enough to squeeze a visit in with his mom on Thursday afternoon, but not until after I had caught up on the laundry and filled the tablet for the first time with shows for myself and not Mark. There were some for him too, but the last couple of weeks in his body he'd been losing interest. Mark first threw up blood at 7.30 on Thursday night. This used to be a regular thing and was the reason he was in the hospital for 12 days in 2018, but it was the first time in over a year. After getting him settled back in his chair, I called her palliative team. I'd introduced them in January when I was in over my head, and we'd put our expected death in the home paperwork and DNR in place then. I knew from the number of times Mark had thrown up blood in the past that this could be something that would happen once, and not again, or it could be the beginning of the end. He threw up again around 10. He was due for his nighttime pills, and after leaving him alone, as in keeping my yipper shut from the chair next to him... To regain some strength, I asked him to take them. He refused. Mark had never, not once, refused to take them, and his pain medication was essential. Staying ahead of the pain is a must. It's almost impossible to catch up if you get too far behind. I pleaded on and off for the next few hours, hoping he'd get them down, but when I finally resorted to nagging, which is not in my wheelhouse, and he said, I can't, I called a nurse. At that point, he'd been moaning steadily for quite some time and was only responding if I demanded a response. The nurse showed up at 3 a.m. Mark went into the bathroom only minutes before she arrived and was in there until 5. He'd been resting his head on his hand, trying to work up the strength to wipe his ass. Right to the very end, he was dignified, refined, elegant. It wasn't pride that kept him from letting me help. I don't know what the... I don't know that I have the right word. It was this fight in him to be a man, no matter how much he had betrayed his body that was now betraying him. So much honor in that man. I finally snapped the light off and said, fine, you can sleep in here. I'm done fighting with you. And then the nurse and I discussed what to do. He needed pain medication desperately, but if we gave it to him there, we would never get him back in his chair. The minute we mentioned getting EMS to help, he shut the bathroom door and got up on his own. I knew how to win that one. He was only in his chair a few minutes before he passed out. At 5.30 a.m. while in his chair, he threw up again, only this time was unaware that he had. Friends, it is not a pretty death. To those who drink, pay special attention. The nurse told me we should get him to palliative. She said that we knew he wanted to die here, but this was going to get really difficult and it could be like that for a week or two. At this point, I'd started to grasp he's not recovering this time. He wouldn't even know in the state he's in, she said. My reply is unwavering, but I would. I'll do it till I can't. The first nurse left and I was alone with Mark for the next couple of hours, quiet except for his rhythmic momenting, until things rapidly declined. But again, God's got this. 
It was the details like having her favorite nurse on schedule, and W across the road, the only person I'd wake up before waiting too long to get help because he likes his mornings and I don't like inconveniencing people. He was off because of COVID rules, relaxed people, he had a runny nose. I ran over to his lot at 7 and asked if he would watch Mason when he wakes up. As it turned out, with so many awesome friends, I didn't have to parent Mason again for the next 48 hours. Of course, we spent time together, but I wasn't doing meals or worrying about where he was off and playing. Someone else always had an eye. The throwing up blood began in earnest at 7.17 a.m. Friday, September 25th. It was enough that, well, I knew that Mark would not want anyone he knew to remember him like that. So I called EMS to help me clean Mark up and get him more comfortable in his chair. But I also didn't want to share the hallway with anyone I knew. I'd earned that right. It was so sacred and so holy. I had a hard enough time letting the nurses and EMS in on it. I'd pulled an all-nighter, and as I sat on my deck, smoke and rye and coke in hand, only hours before Mark was to go home, the verse about an unbelieving spouse being made holy through their believing spouse suddenly felt like such a burden. My faith had been so, so small. Oh God, did I do enough? Was it enough? Did I love him enough? I knew he sought repentance. I knew his heart had been changed. I knew he had outrageously forgiven me. But the doubt crept in and my heart ached to the thought of always living with this horrible tension and regret. I had to set aside those thoughts to ask the paramedic what to expect. What does catastrophic bleed mean? It meant he's going to continue to throw up blood until there's none left, basically. It's not a common way to go, and it may or may not be messy. It could also cause a heart attack. It could just quit pumping. He could choke to death on his own vomit. But it was coming. The vomiting was every half hour after that, and then every 20 minutes, then 10, sometimes a lot, sometimes not. Mark was aware of none of it. When I talked to the doctor at 9 a.m., he said within the next 48 hours, My world rocked for a minute, but God gave me an unnatural strength to handle everything calmly and I was present. I knew within a half hour of that phone call that 48 hours wasn't happening. My husband wouldn't be in his body day's end. Our favorite nurse was there around 9, and she worked to get Mark as comfortable as possible while finding that line of not killing him faster with medication. It all looks good on paper. And I was busy trying to connect with his soul. We had favorite songs, but they weren't soothing him. Rubbing his arm or leg didn't help either. He brushed me away, which is new. I kissed his bloody lips at one point. When you love, you love. Hoping I squeezed it in before he started throwing up again, but not really caring. I remember being thankful nothing tasted... Nothing tasted or smelled like a horrible thing to be tasting. If you've ever been stupid enough to be get to throwing up bile... You know what I'm talking about. And I talked and talked. I told him what an honor it was to be his wife and all those other good and important things. Last thing he said was, I love you. Not long after that, I felt like he wasn't really aware, but I kept trying to reach him, hoping to calm him. It was really ugly towards the end. So ugly, the nurse and I just looked at each other and asked, how long can it go on like this? And the doctor called and said another hour or two, perhaps. Oh my God, please no. Now, now this fight in him no longer made sense. And so I got on my knees and I grabbed his face and I looked him in the eyes, so very, very unsure he can hear me anymore. And I told him, it's okay. I'm going to let you go today. I'm not ready. I'll never be ready though. And I know it's today, so it's okay to stop fighting. 
Nothing, nothing else had worked to soothe, and in my desperation, I grabbed the poem off the wall. Mark heard it once, over a year before, and I had absolutely no reason to suppose that after 14 hours of doing everything that had always worked to no avail, that there was going to be anything about reading this that would quiet his heart and body enough to stop fighting. But there it was in hand, this thing I wrote about how this chain had kept our sinful souls together, and I was demanding of God the right to walk him to the gate. And I sat down on the little step stool beside his leg and began to read. It's a long read, 30 stanzas, 210 lines, but as I started, this thing his body was doing, I didn't know a body could do stopped, and the moaning stopped, and the pain stopped. And he went on like that, silent and peaceful as I read. He took his last breaths with my last lines, and his heart pumped its last beats as I prayed him to the gate. He passed at noon in his chair in his trailer with me by his side exactly as he wanted. It would be another few days before I really started to grasp what had happened in those moments. I was never more proud of Mark than on that day. He fought so well, and he fought for me. He kept fighting after a point it stopped making sense, because he needed to hear me say I was okay. I was never better loved by my husband than in his final moments, and it's his love that propelled my newfound sobriety. How? Well, that's common.